Good morning. How you doing? You good? All right, we're going to get back to God now. That's a part of what we do here. We feel like it's not only biblical, but it's good for us. And so we give back. If you're a guest, don't worry about it. But the rest of you, worry about it. Okay, so, um, yeah, here's what I want you to do. While you're giving back, I want you to turn to someone and tell them the biggest earthquake you've ever been in. The biggest earthquake. By the way, the question we only ask in California. <laughs> Growing up in Illinois, we never asked that question once. So what's the biggest earthquake you've been in? Somebody tell me. Northridge. Northridge. That was what? How big was that? 7-4. Seven, 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 really? That big? Anybody anything bigger than 7-4, the Northridge? I was out of town that weekend, by the way. Literally, I was. I was back in the Midwest moving my, uh, my in-laws out. And uh, we're driving back, and we heard on the radio this terrible earthquake. And, Missed it. Anyway, so, uh, so I, didn't, I wasn't at that one. Uh, anybody think bigger? San Francisco. Were you in San Francisco? Yeah. How big was that? You guys remember? I, I, was, I was not there either. Um, so here's what's weird about earthquakes is, uh, I mean, there's probably a lot of, but for me, is I get motion sickness, and I'm, I'm terrible. Planes, trains, automobiles all make me sick, and earthquakes. That's how bad I am. There was one years ago. It's got to be 20-some years ago, and I don't remember which one. It wasn't a huge one. But there was an earthquake early, early on a Sunday morning, and then we kept having aftershocks all morning. And so by the time I got up to speak, I was green. I didn't know I was going to make it through without losing my breakfast. I was so... That's, that's how sensitive I am. Isn't that crazy? So if during the message, if you'd sit really still and not... <laughs> so... Um, it's interesting what happens when things are kind of, I don't know, I was going to ask you to kind of describe your emotions during the earthquake, and that was silly because it was probably fear for all of us. But, but uh, when the earth is moving and we can't get solid ground, it, it is pretty unnerving, isn't it? It's a little like, ah. Uh, uh, have you guys ever been to the gym? I remember the first time I went to the gym, and this guy wanted me to work out with him, and he, and he, he brings out this, um, it's like, it's like a, a platform on top. It's about two feet, like, octagonal or something I don't know but it's a round ball on the bottom have you seen this one and you stand on it and what happens the first time you stand on it? they tell you to start doing squats you're saying doing squat I can't even you know because your muscles aren't used to it yet and you're just it is a very unnerving feeling when you can't get your feet underneath you I was talking to Connie this week and and I said honey what do you think I ought to be talking about in the next few weeks and and uh and usually these are planned out way in advance and and this time they weren't and so she said uh, the following, and I had already been thinking about this. She said, you know, right now people are just feeling a little off kilter. It feels like the earth is shaking around people. And, and it could be the political situation for some folks. It could be, we've just seen a lot of families go through a lot of stuff recently. And so I realized that even in my own life, I'm, I, I, I want to be a non-anxious presence in my home and in my church and my job, I want to be. But what do you do when the person who's supposed to be non-anxious is anxious? And so over the next three weeks, maybe four weeks, I want to uh, just sit with you and talk about what do you do when the world is shaking? 
What do you do when the world is shaking? Because you got to go back to the basics. Because the world may be shaking and changing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But if you've got the, if you've got the basics right, you're going to be fine. And so today I want to talk about filling your mind with God's Word. When things, Because here's the deal. There are all kinds of opinions in the world. Opinions are like armpits. <laughs> you know the rest of the saying. Um, but there's all kinds of opinions in the world. I mean, everybody and their brother's got an opinion, but nobody knows what they're really talking about. I mean, seriously. And we go look for opinions, and we usually choose the one that happens to agree with our opinion, even though we don't know what we're talking about either. Right? Wouldn't it be nice to have a place to go where the opinions aren't just opinions, but they are truth? And that is a very stabilizing factor in our life. And I want to just talk about that. This isn't a like go home and go, well, that was a really fun message. This is just how do we get our feet underneath this when the world around us is just kind of shaking, okay? By the way, let me just, let me, let me read some statistics from, from uh, these are from just across the board in the United States. Here's what it said. 89% uh, of people uh, feel like having a spiritual foundation in life is very important. 81% felt they needed to provide stronger spiritual leadership in their own, uh, this is parents, for their own children. Um, 80% felt they needed to live by the values of the Bible. So 80% of the people in the United States think the Bible has good values for us to live by. Um, 82% um, said the Bible should be our moral compass. Now, this is society as, as a whole. So we, uh, but this is, it's interesting. The survey went on to ask what they knew about the Bible, and they knew almost nothing. <laughs> So eight out of ten of us believe this would be a good stabilizing factor in life, but we don't bother reading it or knowing anything about it. So today I want to encourage us to um, understand the scripture is, is important for us. It is, it is a stabilizing factor when everything else is kind of whatever, all right? Uh, so I want to look at the first 16 verses. We probably won't get through all of them today, at least we didn't uh, last night, uh, of uh, Psalm 119. And if you have a Bible, you may want to turn there. If not, we'll be uh, showing on the screen the verses. Now, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. It is really long, but it's also interesting. And there are a whole bunch of things about this psalm that you and I don't get because we don't read it in the Hebrew. Uh, so it is um, uh, eight lines per section. It follows the Hebrew alphabet. So uh, starting at the beginning of the alphabet, the second one and the second letter of the alphabet all the way down. And each line within a section all start with that letter. So which, by the way, you think, well, that's creatively written, that's interesting, but it's also more easily memorized. Because remember, most of um, the Old Testament for a long time was oral tradition. And so it was memorized line by line. So it was written to be memorized, right? This is a key critical thing we'll read as we go on through this passage. Um, every verse except verse 7 uh, refers to God's Word. It's a, it's a psalm about how important God's Word is. And, um, and most of it is addressed to God. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So, having kind of given you a little background there, let me start with uh, verse 1. Now, I'm, I'm going to do the first uh, uh, 16 verses this week and next. But I'm going I'm to do it in three parts. And here is the first part. Verses 1 through 4 is the insight. And this is not written to God. This is written about God. And the, the writer of the psalm says... Oh my goodness, I've been looking around, I've been watching how people live their lives, and I have figured out what the best way to live your life is. And here and here's how it starts. In verse 1, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed. Blessed. This is a, a phrase we like. Uh, we want to be blessed. All of us want to be blessed. He says, blessed are the blameless. Now, what he's not saying is the perfect. 
Uh, although theoretically, if you, were, if you lived perfectly according to God's will, your life would be so much better. And the more you get that direction, the better your life gets. What he's talking about here is integrity. He's talking about integrity. So blessed are the blameless. It's about living with integrity. So is this true? Is it true that if we lived more according to God's plan, our lives would be better? And I want to suggest absolutely. Absolutely. The goal, so here is the goal. The goal is to live a blessed and blameless life. The problem is that if we buy into most other philosophies or many other philosophies, especially in the West, we think the goal is to have money. And if the goal is to have money, then the means to get the money is less important than getting the money. But in faith, the goal is how you live your not life. In faith, you already know what the outcome is. You're going to be in heaven with God forever. So the preeminent thing for people of faith is how do we live our lives? Not getting the goal where we could be that the ends justify the means. Follow me? Taking shortcuts to get the money, whatever we need to do. I was reading an interesting thing about China. I don't have any issues with China. Uh, but I was just reading some stuff about what has happened as they've emerged into this capitalistic for all practical purposes, society. Uh, and money has become God. And even the people in China are writing about how ruthless and cutthroat life has become because the goal justifies just about whatever means you can get away with. Now, I'm not sure that's not true of every Chinese person in every place. Where, but this observation was being made about the impact that capitalism, the introduction of capitalism, has had on their society. And they weren't saying the old way was better. They were just saying they seem to have switched gods. Right? And so life is better. Life is blessed if we do it the way... The, the creator, the one who created us, intended us to live it. And so that's just a premise. He's just laying out, this is the baseline we need to agree to. And so one of the things we have to come to in life is, is there a better way to live? This author and this person here, this author, this speaker, believe that this is the best way to live. Uh, I've, I've tried other stuff and I've watched other people try stuff and I just think Living the way the Creator made you to live is the best way to go. So he's just laying out right here off the bat the premise. Um, so blessed are the uh, blameless, and blessed are the faithful and sincere. Here's what he says in the second one. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. This has to do with um, faithfulness. This is what my life is going to be about, and sincerity with a full heart. You can't do faith. You can't do Christianity. You can't do living God's way halfway. It doesn't work. If you're doing it halfway, that means there's still something more important than God. And this is about sincerity. It's about doing it absolutely, doing it God's way. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. Now, are there other ways to live a blessed life? No. Here's what's interesting, and I, and I see this every once in a while on popular media. Hashtag blessed life, or hashtag blessed. And it could be a girl showing off her new short shorts. <laughs> and I want to say, what do you think blessed means? What, what do you think blessed means? Does it mean the good life? The I have a hot body life? The... What does it mean? Because if you really understand where the word blessed comes from, this is a very old document. And the word blessed means, in essence, a gift, a good gift from God. So what you're saying is God gave you that booty. 
And that, in some level, may be true. But I'm not sure that warrants the hashtag blessed life. You know what I'm saying? Because I think that God wants to bless us in lots of ways. If one of them happens to be that you're beautiful, good for you. But there are even more important ways, believe it or not, that God may want to bless us. And if we think that we can be blessed by something other than God, we misunderstand the word blessing. And, and, and to be fair, the word blessed has come to mean a lot of things in our society. But it's not consistent with the root, the, the etymology of the word. It means from God, a gift from God, something from God. If you want a God-given life, the life that God wants to give you, which is better than any life you can self-manufacture, if you want that, then we need to live life God's way. So it opens us up for him to bless us. That's a part of what is being said here, is we need to understand that we seek him and serve him uh, with all of our heart. By the way, this idea of seeking him um, is an important thing. A part of the way we get to know God is through his word. A lot of people in our society, and we are tempted probably on occasion to talk about God this, God that. And I always want to stop and say, which God are you talking about? Whose God are you talking about? Where did you get that concept of God? Because I don't know that God. I don't know that God. I don't know the God who says that you are automatically um, uh, entitled to two cars in your garage and a really nice house. Now, if God gives it, that's great, but it doesn't say he's going to give you that. I don't, I don't know that God. I don't know the God who says that in this life you will never have trouble or difficulty. I don't know that God because the Bible says that pretty much guaranteed you will. And by the way, he uses that to shape your character and to grow you. So much of our conception about God is just made up. It's just something we wish were true or we heard from somebody one time. In a, a part of God's word is knowing God, knowing his character. Why do I think I can trust God? Because I've read about his character. And I know that his character is good and his intentions for me are good, but not always easy or comfortable for me. I trust God based on what I read, not based on what somebody tells me or what I feel, right? What do we need when things are shaking? We don't need another person's opinion about anything, much less about God. What I need is God, <laughs> the true God, not a made up God in my image, the true God. That's where stability comes from. And that's why I need to seek him through reading his word. So, first one is blessed or blameless. Second one is blessed are the faithful and sincere. And the third one is blessed or blessed are the obedient. Here's what it says in verse 4. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. You've laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. I read a quote. It was, um, it was Tim Keller, actually, uh, talking about the current political situations of the last few uh, couple weeks. And... Uh, and he, he was talking about how society and culture changes and even turns back on itself. And the reference was to the sexual freedom, translate promiscuity, of the 60s and 70s has now reversed itself on top of itself. And now things that were encouraged in the 60s are now called sexual harassment. And you could be fired over. And it wasn't, he wasn't making a positive or negative. He was just making an observation. And he said, how, and so his observation was, how does a society, a culture, 
Decide one thing is right at one time and then wrong at another time. And it's, he says, because we live in a rudderless culture. I thought that was a great phrase. Now, you've already heard I'm motion, I get motion sickness. I don't sail, okay? So rudders don't mean a lot to me, all right? Because um, I don't want anything to do with them. So, but when I was younger, I used to water ski a lot. And for those of you under like 100, water skiing was before wakeboarding and surfboarding and all the other stuff I haven't tried. But back in the day, we had skis. Yes, they were made out of wood. Anyway, so um, we had skis. And when you skied either on two skis or one ski, there was on the bottom a little fin, right? And it kept the ski going straight. And if you kind of leaned one way, it would turn it. You leaned the other way, it would turn it. But then somebody introduced me to trick skis. Anybody know what trick skis are? Okay, so they're like skis. They're kind of, they call them banana skis. So the bottom of them is kind of like this. And the interesting thing about trick skis is they have no rudder. So you get up on top of the water and you can turn any way you want and sometimes ways you don't want. <laughs> I have stitches. I mean, I have scars where the stitches were put in to prove it one time. Um, by the way, the application is that rudderless living leaves scars. Anyway, so... Um, When we live without any kind of guiding principle, any kind of paradigm by which we're going to live, any kind of boundaries, without a rudder, we're just all over the map. And all we're left to is our own devices, what feels good in a given moment, what we think is going to be good in a given moment. And that's why people think that truth changes. Because what they were taught as truth was just somebody's opinion from the 60s. And yet truth doesn't change. And if you want to find solid ground to stand on in changing times, find something that has lasted a while. Especially something that is from God himself. That's a part of what he's saying here in this verse. He's saying, you have laid down precepts. God, you've given it to us. We don't have to make them up on our own. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to... You have told us how life is best lived. This is a manual for living. Doesn't it make sense to fully live accordingly to the best of our ability with God's help? That's what he's saying. Don't live rudderless lives. So this first section, verses 1 through 4, are the insight. This is the insight. And the insight is simply this. Life is best lived according to God's plan. And we can make up our own, and it'll change in 30 years, and we'll make up another set, and it'll change in 30 years. In the meantime, we've done a lot of people a lot of damage. Right? So why not stick with the one that actually works, the one you're intended to live by, and not have to not have to experience the loss and the pain and all the stuff that we inflict on ourselves. So it goes now. So those verses were all about the idea of living life as God intended to be. Now he turns to God. The author turns to God. And the first part was about an insight. This is about an intention. And he begins this prayer or this commitment to God. And he says, God, here is how I want to live. In light of that, I believe that to be true. In light of that, here's how I want to be. Here's how I want to live. Here are my intentions. And he begins to address God. And so in verse 5, he says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. In other words, he says, I see this is the best way. If I could just be consistent. If I could just live consistently based on your plan for my life. Think about a, a tumultuous time in your life. And maybe it's the last few weeks. Or maybe uh, it's a time when somebody got a bad diagnosis or you, or you lost somebody you love. If you could consistently go back to God's word, for your foundation, would you find life being less whipped back and forth, less up and down? 
you would still experience life. You would still have emotions, and yet your foundations would be secure. He's saying, if I could just be more consistent, oh, that my ways were steadfast. I, uh, we were cleaning out a drawer yesterday, and um, I found a stack of cards for my kids, you know, Father's Day cards and birthday cards, all kinds of stuff. And I just opened four or five of them. And it was interesting uh, how many times uh, a, a principle that, that uh, we have practiced in our home showed up. So here's the deal. I'm not the most talented guy. I am definitely not the smartest guy. Uh, I'm not even the smartest guy in the room when I'm alone. So it's a problem. <laughs> so, but I, I told my kids, and I taught them this for years, dad's not the smartest guy. I'm not the best at anything. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show up. And wherever you need me, and wherever you're playing ball or wherever you're doing a dance recital, I'm going to show up. Because I'm not great at everything, but I am good at showing up. Well, the truth is, I'm not good at showing up, but I'm committed to showing up, and I'm getting better at showing up. And it was interesting in those cards how many times, Dad, thanks for showing up. Thanks for showing up. Um, parents, take heart. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be the perfect parent. But if you'll keep showing up, amazing things will happen. Here is what the psalmist is saying. I need to keep showing up to God's word. I need to consistently show up to learn, to grow, to be in God's word. I need to show up. It's like that survey I read to you. We believe God's word could help us. We just don't show up. It's not a guilt thing. It's a look at the manual. We're like, all of us are like guys when we put something together. Put it together and the manual's over there until we get in trouble. Then we go running for the manual, right? We don't do life without the manual. It works better when you look at the manual. So he just says, show up. I want to show up consistently. And then live more consistently. And then he says, I want to live shamelessly. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Uh, here's what it says in verse 6. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. Now, I know people who live shamelessly, but it's not the kind that I would advise. They throw off social mores. They throw off whatever the social contract or construct would suggest, and they just live however they want. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being able to look at your life and not be ashamed. Living your life on a daily basis because you're reading God's word and God is helping you, and there is nothing you need to be ashamed of. Now, we all fall into that. Have you, so if, if I were to challenge you, and I don't want to ruin your morning, but if I were to challenge you to stop and think of something, I bet there is at least one event in your life, and probably, if you're like me, one event per week in your life, where even thinking about it now, and it could be years later, your face turns red of shame. I think that shame and guilt are two of the most debilitating things. And by the way, guilt is not always bad, and I'm going to help you understand that in a minute. But... What he's saying is, I want to live a life that is free of shame, shame-free, because I haven't done anything to be ashamed of. With God's help, I have lived my life in a way that I don't have anything to be ashamed of. See, in our society, we think the freedom is, uh, the, the path to freedom is not living life that we don't do anything to be ashamed of. We think it's the opposite. We think do whatever you want and then justify it. <laughs> right? Why did, why did you know, why did... Uh, I don't know. Why did you what did you do this thing over here? Well, it just felt good. You know, I'm 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 free and and I'm I'm an adult and, and I didn't hurt anybody and well then why are you so ashamed? Because you know deep down it wasn't good, it wasn't right. Right? So let's own up to that and live a different life rather than trying to justify our own urges, right? 
Parley says, live a life without shame. It's, you'll like it. Um, and then the next one kind of goes hand in hand with this. Verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will praise you with an upright heart. An upright heart. I kind of titled this one, Live Clean-Heartedly. There is nothing better than waking up with a clear conscience. I know that. I know what it is to wake up the other way. There is nothing like waking up with a clear conscience. Whether you misspoke to somebody you love or you, or you cheated on a business deal or you, you drank too much, whatever it is, there is nothing like waking up with a clear conscience. A part of living by God's word is the commitment to wake up with a clear conscience. Because you didn't do it. You weren't there. I didn't do this. I don't have to fight that guilt. So here, I want to give you a little freebie here. We got time. I'm going to give you a freebie here. So, so when we start really trying to get serious about living life God's way, and we can fall into legalism and you got to keep all the rules. And that's not what this is about. This is about living life with God's help the way God wants you to. We can have, and I believe there's an enemy of our soul who will start to bring wrong thinking into our mind. And I, I kind of want to explain it this way. If I turn the lights off in this room, um, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, so how do we keep, keep a clean heart? Let me back up. How do we keep a clean heart? By daily self-examination. But it's not just self-examination. It's self-examination with an objective standard. See, I could sit down and I could write out, Lord, I feel like I did good today. That's not a prayer. That's a diary. It's not about what I feel. Lord, according to your word, I struggled today with some bitterness. That's an objective standard. Now, what, what, here's the difference. So with an objective standard and the help of the Holy Spirit, I can grow. But I just want to point out what the Holy Spirit does and what it doesn't do. If I go to my prayer time and I think, oh my goodness, I'm an awful person, I'm a terrible person, I'm, I'm whatever, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because if I turn the lights off in this room and I took just like a really broad like floodlight and it just kind of lit up this half, that would, that would be a light, but it wouldn't be what the Holy Spirit does. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't go, you're a terrible person, you're awful, shame on you, you'll never get better. What the Holy Spirit does is like, you ever see those little commercials with the army flashlight and it just, right? It's just right there. It would be like me going to prayer time and a guy goes, bang, this thing right here. The Holy Spirit goes, that thing right there. That bitterness you're carrying around that person, about that person, we need to take care of that today. We're going to take care of that today. Because the Holy Spirit always works on us to grow us, not to condemn us. Christ didn't come to condemn us. He came to set us free. And the way we get free from all of our stuff is the Holy Spirit, day by day, as we do that self-examined thing, want a clean heart, he goes, okay, this is part of your heart we're going to clean up today, right here, the bitterness, we're going to deal with that, let's pray about it, and then let's go make amends. It's very specific, which is very freeing, because I do that, I'm good, i got a clean heart, I'm ready to go on. Does this make sense to you guys? Are you buying this? Try it. Try it. This is a wonderful way to live your life. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what the psalmist is talking about. Live clean-heartedly. The greatest feeling and then um and to live in god's presence i will obey your decrees uh do not utterly forsake me that sounds at first like he's like okay god i'm gonna i'm gonna earn your favor i'm gonna do good no 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 what this is about is he sees how dark life is without god if indeed the bible is true and the theology derived from the bible is true all good things come from god any good that you experience comes from God. Now imagine if God withdrew his presence from your life altogether. It would be dark from our world. It would be dark. All the psalmist is saying here is, I want to obey the decrees, and I appreciate your presence with me. There's two things I'll end with. One, never 
take for granted God's presence. Even if you don't believe there's a God, just take my word for it, anything good you experience does not come the from the core of humankind, from the core of individuals, because the deeper you dig, the darker it gets. Well, that's a pretty terrible analogy or idea. I know. No, I mean, I know. I know. <laughs> I know God's changing it, but I'm still a pretty selfish person down in there. I know God is helping me to aspire to be more and to be better, but I still struggle with that stuff. God's presence in my life is so important. I never want to take that for granted, and I never want to leave God's presence unaccessed in my life. What do I mean by that? I have a theory. It's just me. It's not even God's word. It's just me. That about 98% of Christians I know, including me, leave a significant portion of God's grace and God's blessing on the table because we don't ask for it. I believe that we struggle so much more in life than we're supposed to. I don't believe God makes your life easy, but I believe God walks with you through it, and that does make a difference. And yet we try to figure it out on our own. Recently, my grandkids have been learning to go across the street because I've been playing baseball in the front yard and the ball goes across. I live on a pretty quiet street, not a lot of traffic, but still, you know, they can, that kind of lulls you to sleep. And, and so we hit the ball and then we'll hold hands and, and we'll walk and we'll stop and we'll look both ways and we'll walk across still looking both ways. We get the ball, we don't turn around and run back, we stop and we look. Both, and it's such a simple little thing. It's just silly. And yet they're learning something very important as I hold their hand and we look both ways. I want to suggest that you and I only go to God like when we're really in trouble or something big, and God goes, no, if you'll just let me hold your hand every day, I'll teach you how to walk across this life, <laughs> across this globe that's shaking so badly around you. I will show you what to look at. I will show you how to respond. I will show you when it's safe to go and when you need to stay. I will do that. If we will consistently show up with God to read his word, to have prayer, I believe he wants to walk with us every day and hold us by the hand because we are his children and we don't have it all figured out and teach us and grow us. And I think during shaky times, we need to step back and do that, especially during those times and then learn to do it at all times because I think God cares that much about our everyday life. And some of us are getting pretty shaken because we're looking at the world around us and we're not holding on to the right hand. And I think this can make the difference. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you have given us your word. I thank you for this psalmist who recognized in his own life how much he needed you, how much he needed a relationship with you and your word to guide and to lead and to direct. And Lord God, we are no less needy. We need you to guide us and direct us. About the time we think we've got it all figured out, something starts to shake and we lose our footing and we're off kilter and we're not sure how to fix it. And it's because we let go of your hand. So teach us to desire your word because to love your word is to love you. And as we love you, you will guide us and you will lead us into a blessed, a truly blessed life. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.